So welcome to Just a GP podcast, where we will be talking above and beyond the face-to-face clinical medicine. And today we have Charlotte Hesby, myself, Ashley Broomfield, and Rebecca Hoffman. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves to our unyet-foreseen audience? Sure. So hi, I'm Charlotte. Um, I'm a GP working in the inner city of Sydney um, and have been doing that since I finished my training as a GP at the end of the 90s um, and I'm a practice owner and also work um, in academic um, spheres, working currently as the Head of General Practice at Notre Dame Uni and I'm currently the Faculty Chair for New South Wales ACT um, RSCGP, which takes up a bit of my time as well. Very busy. Keeps me out of mist. Well, keeps me out of other trouble, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and myself. I'm Rebecca Hoffman. I'm a new fellow, having only fellowed now four months ago, and I got my certificate in the mail last Thursday. Yeah, oh, congratulations! Woohoo! Very exciting. Um, yet to be framed and hung on my wall, but that's the next plan. Um, I work in Mittagong, which is about an hour and a half outside of Sydney, um, technically regional. Um, I also work at the University of Wollongong in a lecturing and tutorial position, and I sit on the RECGP board as well as the registrar representative. So keeping myself busy is also. And my name's Ashley and I'm a GP working up on the North Coast. I be considered a new fellow too and I fellowed in 2016. Um, I do a little bit of lecturing for our local uni as well. I also sit on the New South Wales and ACT faculty with Beck and Charlotte as the new fel- the chair of the new fellows committee and I'm trying to make myself less busy but <laughs> that doesn't always happen does it ladies? <laughs> no. So um, do you guys want to give us a bit of an overview about what what the idea was with this podcast and what what we're going to be doing in the future? Yeah, I'll start if that's okay. I mean, we we thought we'd just have a bit of fun um, sharing some of the joys that we uh, experience in being just a GP. At the same time, we thought it was a great opportunity to sort of go and find our fellow GPs and get them to talk about some gems of practice and some of the issues that we're facing and just be able to sort of engage a little bit more with everybody in our sort of footprint and sort of facing the same sorts of issues that we're facing every day. And I love podcasts. I'm a bit of a podcast nerd. I'm always looking for a new podcast. Um, I loved this idea when Charlotte and Ash spoke to me about it and jumped on board as quickly as I could. Yeah, so, and I I, I feel a bit the same yeah, way. Well, Ash, I've, you're I've the podcast queen. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we've, we've kind of sat down and nutted out that we're going to be covering topics, you know, looking at leadership, self-care and well-being, what it's like to, to run a private practice, and little clinical pearls, difficult consultation and, and getting into some nitty-gritty, you know, controversial topics like quality and um, e-health record type things and discussions that 
we can really get into some some depth about what's happening and why things are are the way that they are and and perhaps brainstorm with each other and other GPs that we invite on the show to yeah to sort of explore those things and we're also looking forward to inviting some of the GPs out there who are doing PhDs um, to find out why they're doing a PhD and what relevance that might have on you me them into the future for how we practice medicine given that really one of the big beefs I have about research is that it's all about a, the, the sort of the theory or the siloed specialty stuff um, and it's we really need more GPs to do the research about what we're doing every day because it's so much more complex and um, complicated in how you actually do things in the, um, in the general practice sphere than in the specialist sphere. Mm, it's very different. Like as we all know, <laughs> that's one of the things I found most challenging starting general practice is it's so different to to anything that happens in hospitals or specialty-based practice. It's such a different approach and you're right, Charlotte, that the, ref- the research definitely reflects that and needs to reflect that and, and it would be really interesting to hear from those people as well. Yeah, and I think that the whole discussion about quality will come into that too because you know what a uh, the specialist tells us is is a quality measure may not actually relate to being a quality measure in general practice when so many other things might inter interfere with with that you know so when we're sort of being told by guidelines that you know you must do x y and z but you know the patient in front of us isn't just about the x y and z they're about the a b c d e f g as well and how do you actually make it be the correct fit for them so which is the fun of being a gp can i say but it's also very challenging and can be quite anxiety provoking when you feel like you're not don't know whether you're doing the making the right choices with them Mm. Mm. so i've got some exciting times ahead yeah so why don't we start with uh, we're going to do every week a, a little personal highlight charlotte do you want to start with a personal highlight of your week whether clinical or just general um, yeah, actually, my highlight's just actually been this morning. I had the opportunity to be um, presenting on uh, working with multiple GPs and working how to work with difficult patients for the a, a group of 50 uh, medical receptionists who are doing the RACGP um, medical receptionist two days of training. And can I tell you, it was just lovely, a room full of 50 enthusiastic uh, men and women who were keen to learn about how to be able to do a better job in that incredibly demanding role and you know I often I just know how hard it can be because it's all and well for us as the GP sitting in our room protected and we see one at a time but often you know they've just got demands and people and things happening from all fronts and we know that all of the difficult conversations as well as potential medical disasters happen in that reception area as they're waiting um, to see nurses or doctors etc and uh, and the feedback um, from the talk was just lovely and yeah so that was my highlight. Cool and back So I guess um, my biggest highlight for this week, it's been a very big week at this end for me. Um, 
not only did I get my certificate in the mail last week, but I also got my first ever article published in a journal in the AJGP this week. Oh, congratulations. Is that the one that we just got in the mail? It is. It'll be hitting all of your conventures or your work (laughs) this week. I'll have to open it then. (laughs) The very last one in the journal. So keep reading until you get to the very last article. Um, It's about junior doctor burnout. So comparing the experience of hospital doctors to general practice registrars on what supports and burnouts they've been having. Cool. I look forward to reading it back. (laughs) Yeah, and we obviously can have a chat about that because burnout is one of the big, you know, issues that interestingly seems to be facing doctors more and more um, over the, you know, sort of we we sort of talked about burnout when I was a, a doctor, but the issues around burnout were quite different from the issues that seem to be being faced by, well, not just junior doctors because really senior doctors burnout in a different way I mean some of them just leave practice altogether um, as well as the sort of the high suicide rates but I think it's um, and I find it fascinating that it all comes when after we've been told the promise of you know the introduction of the computer that's (laughs) going to make everything so much easier which of course it does make it so much easier on one front but it opens up the whole possibility and the complications of what the responsibilities of now being electronic mean as we well know with the My Health Record discussions that we're having at the moment. Mm. I guess that brings me to my personal heart of the week, which we'll start with a low light. I, um, Me and my husband have been doing IVF and we did our third round, which was unsuccessful. Mm. So we've had a pretty tough uh-huh. week this week. But my, my personal highlight was um, our friends are just so super supportive and they've all reached out and, you know, told us how much they care and love and that's hearing... Uh, Beck talk about burnout remind thinking about doctors and even our patients it's just really reminded me how important a support network is to kind of get you through those tough times and remind you that there's you know people and community and and that sort of love and care that's around you I think that's really yeah yeah it's it's hard though isn't it when something so big for you is what reminds you but it is wonderful when you have that reminder yeah well, it was here all <laughs> along, but yeah, it is really nice to to kind of appreciate and and to step back and and acknowledge that as well. And I think sometimes the acknowledgement of what you do have is is can be a really important part of a strategy when you're looking at stuff that's you're struggling with at the time. Yeah. And on that, shall okay. we move on? Yeah. Now we do, yeah. yeah. So are you okay? You're ready, yeah, ready yeah. to, to yeah, move on? Good. Yep. Okay. Can I say I hope yeah. you have a good GP? I do. Um, I do. Good. <laughs> Excellent. So, Which is definitely part of health and well-being. I know. So um, today we were planning to talk about leadership and, and Charlotte, we were going to be quizzing you about your leadership journey and mm. and and some little tips or, you know, insights. And so we might start with, um, you know, why you feel like leadership is an important something to talk about. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, I've been obviously thinking about it before we came to talk. And for me, I certainly never went into medicine or general practice in any sense seeking um, to be a leader. And so I've sort of felt like I'm not 
really a leader, but then when you start thinking about it, that doesn't actually mean for anything. It's about, well, what is leadership anyway? And I um, I quite like there was a, a, a definition of leadership which talked about leadership not being a title so or a designation so much, but about thinking about the impact, influence and inspiration that you actually um, have on the environment around you, which actually is very much goes to the core of why I think leadership is so important because although I may not necessarily have looked a, to be a leader and or think of myself as a leader, it is about wanting sometimes to have an impact, about knowing that we need to get results in certain things um, and the influence that you might have and how you can spread your passion um, for what you want changed or what you think needs to happen and then also to know that part of that is also about inspiring the team that you work in. I mean, I think we all relate as GPs that, like it or not, we are leaders because we we are the the leaders with our patients because we have to direct conversations um, about really difficult things, um, about making changes in life and stuff. So we have a lot of the foundations of what um, leaders need anyway. So it's just about when you have opportunities. For me... Um, I think I'm not very good at saying no. Yeah. I think you two probably relate to <laughs> what? that too. What? What's that word? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I was in, uh, when I was asked to become part of my local division of um, general practice, um, well, I had actually no real idea about what it meant or what it would mean. And that for me started the big journey of, of, what I've ended up being involved in. So, because I've done a lot of what, what's called governance work, which sounds really dry. Um, and it means having been a director on boards of things. So, I've been the director on the board of what was our local GP division, then, then what subsequently became a Medicare local. And I'm still a director on now what is my local primary health network. And through that work, I've really had my eyes opened to the understanding of how important um, good leadership is, good um, and a good understanding of relationships and how we communicate with all those around us. Because I think, you know, when I was just working as a GP without doing those sorts of work, I just, I didn't really understand how difficult it was to change things. I didn't really understand how hard other things might be. And in fact, Remember, I was very, very passionate about, um, I still am, about improving the access for patient care and the improving of communication with my local hospital and, you know, improving discharge summaries and this, that and the other. And I was on some sort of little bandwagon. Um, I think I was a new fellow at that point. I think it was about two years out and I was really feeling pretty energetic. up in arms about, yeah, that's it. And um, this... GP leader at that point in time looked at me and he said, Charlotte, look, I've been doing this. He had a gruff voice. I've been doing this for about 35 years and you know what? Nothing's changed and you know what? I don't think anything will, so I wouldn't bother if I were you. And I went away thinking, God, I don't want to have that sort of attitude. And, you know, like if you think like that, then nothing is going to change. And I think that's what goes down to the whole, um, my ethos of life is if I actually care, um, 
then I need to stand up and do something about it. I need to be brave enough to stand up and say what it is that I think needs to change and then follow through with it, which goes to another sort of um, quotation that I saw about leadership, which was about that leadership is practised not so much in words but in attitude and actions. So it is about what we're, you know, willing to get up and do. So I might not necessarily have had in my agenda that this is what I wanted to do, but I've ended up being so passionate about seeing that in order to really care for the needs of the people in the community that I live in, which is not just my local Glebe community where my practice is, nor just Sydney, New South Wales, ACT, but actually Australia at the end of the day, then I need to be willing to be noisy um, and try and actually do things that do actually, as I say, have impact, influence and and hopefully um, inspire going forward. Um, and which brings me to another quote, if I might, um, I'm enjoying myself being noisy here, is there was this nice quote from Alexander the Great. And, you know, we all know that he's a leader that most people, even if they don't know many leaders, will at least re- recall his name, even if they don't know what he did. But um, as a leader of a sort of, you know, an army that did very well, he said that he's not, he wasn't afraid of any army that was full of lions who were led by a sheep, but he was afraid of an army that was full of sheep when they were led by a lion. And I think that that's sort of, it's not like I want to be going out there fighting, but I think that that's actually really important that we need to have some lions particularly at the moment fighting for us in the primary care space because you know for whatever reason and I just don't really understand it primary care general practice just doesn't seem to have a very powerful voice even though at the moment you know we get told by everybody around us that we really are really important and we're really going to make a difference to healthcare but despite that they say it but they don't actually really whether they mean it or whatever because the the actions don't reflect that in terms of really changes in proper policy or attitude and our medical colleagues is just as bad I hear stories every day about the lack of respect that specialists can have for us um, our specialty of general practice when we have to deal with so much more complexity um, and you know, and we're expected to just put up with it um, and we're expected to take on more and more and more and continue to be told that, we, you know, the problems all lie with us because, mm. you know, if, if we were doing better, then these problems wouldn't exist. So, Charlotte, you um, do you think that anything has changed since the, the early 90s when, you've, <laughs> when you started getting involved? It wasn't the early 90s. I'm not that old. Oh, right. The, right. So 2000 was my first um, step into it. That's okay. You can make me Didn't as you say early? Didn't you say early 90s before? I thought I said in the, I might have been in the 90s, but, you know, oh. yes, that's, my apologies. I'm so sorry. I'm quite, quite happy to be. Sorry, early um, 2000. Even older than I am. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, things have really changed, like really changed. So when... When I had that gruff GP um, say that to me, at that point in time, there was very little structure around or ability to have a voice as a GP in the bigger scheme of things. We, you know, I was involved in a group that really did, you know, work away like a very 
um, irritating mosquito, I think, um, in the ears of our local um, health district colleagues. And as a result of that, set up an inordinately good so what they call a GP liaison, so um, that talked about the entire region that I was in. At the same time as all of that was happening, of course, we had the you know the divisions of general practice that really I think gave GPs a sense of um, being and you know purpose for being able to get together and an understanding that together we can make a difference. I'll put in as an aside, in the meantime, for me, um, what really made a big difference was the quality improvement movement that happened through the APCC um, and Improvement Foundation, where practices were actually upskilled in how to actually look at the work that we did in general practice outside of ourselves. So sort of bringing the, the work of a practice, taking a step back and um, looking at it, I mean, I was only—I owned a practice, and when I started doing that work, I didn't even know how many pra- patients rang up my practice each day to make an appointment. hadn't actually thought about how many appointments we had available, nor even thought about the actually need to design the system to cover the need of the patients or anything. I mean, I was really operating purely as a doctor at that point with no real view about the patient and what their experience might be. So that turned it around for me. And in the meantime, I think in Australia, there was, there's been a, a big, big change. I mean, there's been some good things and some bad things. But what I think is no doubt that on the agenda is the discussion about the role of primary care, which was not there in 2000 in the same way. Um, now, I don't think there's a specialist that I talk to who doesn't get that they do need to talk to us better. I get discharge summaries that not only can I read but are actually becoming more and more um, design friendly for the GP and an acknowledgement that GPs are important. Look, we've got a lot of work to go on that front but uh, there's been, I think, there's no doubt there's been a lot of improvement since I first entered the space. Mm. And... I'm just going to jump in and say that I absolutely agree with everything you've said, but you mentioned something earlier about being noisy. I was just hoping you could talk a little bit about what you mean by being noisy and why that's important to actually not just sit back and complain. Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks, Beck. Uh, Okay, so being noisy is about actually – trying to get people to listen, I suppose, because, you know, like I I was really struck when I was a, a, sort of a junior doctor by how that, well, there was quite a lot of disgruntlement um, around me. I remember one of my supervisors had sort of said, oh, this is the worst possible time you could ever choose to come into general practice. This is not a specialty that you want to do. It's a dying, you know, it's going to die and, you know, why don't you rethink your choices and go back? And that was sort of a common feeling all around me. Now, you could say, why on earth did you continue to do it? Um, and, you know, why do we do the things we do? But but I actually didn't believe them. And I didn't believe them because I could see that that everything, that there was an ability to sort of to change it. And I also saw the glimmers of of hope, and those were the the power of being in a community, of hearing what other people did, and go forward and sort of say things. Now, I'm not I'm not very good at being noisy. I don't think. Um, I think there's some much better at that. I might 
But I think it's about looking at all the different skills that we have. So there are some, I think, fantastic GP leaders out there who are really good at that advocacy thing of going to the politicians and sort of saying the story. You know, that's something I don't particularly like doing, but I can see the older I get, the more why you would do that. And I'm probably getting better at doing it as well. And there's, then there's the, the local noise. As I said, I've really seen that the being noisy in my local health district has made a huge amount of difference. So I complain about things now. I mean, I'm not a complainer. I'm a very, I tend to be the positive thinker. But, you know, when things don't go right for patients, I go and complain, not so much just to complain, but about changing the system, saying this has happened because you know, these channels aren't operating or because you're not sending it out there, you're not being respectful of the GP. Why can't we, you know, do a phone call? Can't you plan for the discharge home? Can't you see that if you send a 96-year-old home to nobody at the home, then they're going to bounce back into hospital in two days' time? You know, it's those sorts of things. And, and it's interesting, the more noise you make, in fact, the more you get listened to and people actually come to you and ask you for an opinion. So it actually... By being noisy, you get more of a voice. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Can you explain, Charlotte, how to be noisy in an effective way where you get a positive impact rather than being labelled as the annoying, the annoying GP out there? <laughs> yeah, and I think telling yes. Well, that's 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 right. I mean, because it's easy. You can be noisy and irritating, and noisy and and effective isn't it it's again which Mm. goes back to the Mm. impact and you know are you getting results so I think my my natural style is a collaborative style I really don't like confrontation um I don't like um I'm not the sort of person who goes up and says oh you know kapow you know bash in the face so I sort of have more of I've, I've been it's about building relationships so it's about being in the room saying useful things, um, selling general practice. That's one of the big things that I think um, I've been working on particularly hard in the last 10 years is constantly going into different specialty areas. And um, are you still there? Because I've just lost you on my screen. I am. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Um, It's about, um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, Building relationships. Yeah, so it's about the building the, the relationships. So by being in the room and selling a very positive story about general practice and saying what it is that I see that we can do in that sphere and what I am currently working to do with the acknowledgement that, you know, we can always be doing better, I think has opened up conversations of, oh, wow, I didn't know that that was possible and how can we do that better and how do we design things so that you know about it more? So it's the selling the positives of the GP. So it's not just, so it's very much about if you come in thinking that they're not doing a good enough job, don't go in there and go, you're, you know, this is stupid. It's about saying, hey, this is what's not working and using the story of the patient, like did you realise that this is what happens and then being able to say how we can, what are some possible solutions. So coming in with that positive solution approach and, as I said, base it around a patient and then no one can fight you about it because that's 
the real thing. You know, that's what is happening and that's what we need to try and improve at all times, particularly when they've voiced to us all the time that they're about patient-centred care. Yet, you know, I get patients coming out going, you know, there they were telling me they were giving me a patient-centred experience and I don't think they ever cared two boots about what happened to me. You know, it's a bit like discharging them at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning or midnight, you know, from the accident and emergency story when you get an 88-year-old patient sent home at midnight because, you know, you want to get them out of the accident and emergency, but you're not actually thinking about, well, who's going to get them home? Are they going to be safe? Are they going to fall over the doorstep? Um, you know, is it safe to go home? All of those sorts of things. When you spoke a lot about building relationships, what what do you what have you found over the years have been some really key components of developing, you know, positive relationships that are then useful to enact change? Oh, again, good question. Um, look, I think it's about it's that whole networking thing really well you know like I hate when people can be quite condescending about what networking means but to me I think in if you really are passionate about positive change and improving what we can do then it's about figuring out who are the influences of that in your um in your area and who and where and how can you actually influence change so it's no good beavering away in your little corner if no one's actually hearing the noise that you're making and the people that you're talking to don't actually have any influence anyway. So, you know, that that might be useful for changing in your little tiny corner. So don't do me, you know, I'm not saying don't do that. But what I think can happen then is going, okay, so this is actually working here, but no one else is hearing about it. So if I really think that this is worth it, then I need to take it somewhere else. So who are the relationships I need to build with that? actually enable me with that and you know it doesn't take too long often you know you talk to other colleagues or you go to meetings and you sort of find them and you know and the the more as I say you talk respectfully and you attend and you go and you give really good solid reasoning about why it is that you're passionate about it then those relationships build and you end up being able to sort of actually really start to have that ripple effect of, um, you know, coming back to you with things. So, for instance, at the moment I'm in the midst of building a, um, a pilot project with my local health district who've been talking for a long time about their understanding that we can't really improve the health of our vulnerable populations if we're not addressing the social um, their social needs and you know and I was saying well yep that's the same experience for me in general practice you know I actually did an audit of a couple of you know just weeks of my patients and thought about that probably about 30% of the consultations I was doing were about actually just their their social needs but those social needs were having a huge impact on the health as I was needing to deal with it. So it was very much about their health, um, but I wasn't in a position to actually really do anything about their social care needs. So we're just in the process of looking at how we can partner a pilot project where we do that whole social work, refer the social referrals in partnership with the local health district to try and sort of particularly do some differences. Sounds amazing. Which I th- we all do. It's just trying to figure out for each of us in our own little space how we can do that 
with the bigger picture in mind so that it actually gets uh, sort of, I suppose, that permit to be part and parcel of what we do more easily. Mm, so working to, together rather than separately on the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, you can keep, you could fight lots of little fires all yourself in your own little space. Um, and that's really good because I think if you have the idea, you see it work, it's, it works and then it's about going out there. And, I mean, and that's the other thing is for me it's about um, I need to be the leader that does the things that I actually believe in. So I don't go out there espousing values that I don't actually put upon myself. In fact, I probably, I mean, I'm very, very self-aware that I could always be doing better so um, I think the other doctors in my practice often laugh at me because they know that I'm always wanting us to do better, that, you know, and I think if you don't expect of yourself to do better and you don't have an ability to see that I might not be doing as well as I could be, then, again, you're probably not being a good enough leader because if you think that you are, have achieved it all, then you probably haven't, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So it's about being authentic within yourself yep. and in the action like you say it's not about the words it's about the actions and and what you're doing and and if that's not if that's not authentic then people will see through it really yeah 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 in the same way that our patients can see if we're not abiding by the stuff that we tell them as well <laughs> that's right it's that don't do as i do do as i say mm. Mm. Have you had- I, I, sorry Oh, I was going to move on to another question, so if you wanted to round that out, you can. No, no, don't, go for it. What about um, some key challenges that you've had and how you kind of worked through them? Because, you know, if you think about the people that might be listening or even for Beck and I, early career GPs, we've got a hopefully a long way to go, but there's going to be some bumps along the way. Is there anything that you can share in terms of? difficulties or challenges that you've had and how you've worked through them from a leadership perspective? Um, Okay, so that's an interesting question. If I go back and think about, for me, the sort of, you know, the the ups and the downs, I think the biggest challenges for me have been when I've been, (laughs) you could say, in the right place at the wrong time or the wrong place at the wrong time. I don't know which one you might look at it as, but I've been in a place where no one else was willing to stand up to be the leader and so again it was like okay I believe in this I need to do it just get in there knowing I didn't have the skills for it but trusting that you know I would be able to get assistance along the way and it's those times that you both learn the most like there's no doubt all of my immersion experiences in leadership, I have learnt so, so much. And, you know, it might be incredibly anxiety-provoking on one front, but if you really know and believe in what you're doing, then that that just keeps you going through those sorts of um, times. But also there's, there's people around who are willing to help and upskill and support and do things because um, there's a lot of people who don't like being that upfront leader. They don't want to be that, but they're really happy to be supportive behind the scenes. Mm. And if you are, as, as I sort of was saying, authentic, completely, um, for me, it's always been about being transparent, 
and truthful. I, you know, I say it as I see it and um, I, I don't try and play games. And for me, that's worked really well because I know that I, people, I feel like there's that trust thing is that, you know, I, I do what I say and, um, and therefore I take people on in that respect and have learnt with it. So, yeah, so it's, so the most difficult times are, is like going, I don't have the skills, don't walk away from it, go for it. And as I say, the benefit is learning so much. Um, but also too, you know, you, you come out of it really um, feel just, I think it, there's a greater sense of achievement when you do something that is a lot more challenging. Um, it, you know, but you don't have to obviously do those things. The other things are fun as well. But, you know, life's too short to do, to waste opportunities and sometimes opportunities don't come a second time. So, you know, like when people say to me, you know, you can say no, it's like, well, yeah, I can say no, but a lot of the things I haven't said no to, I've said yes to it because I've seen that that's a great opportunity at the moment and it's something I really want to do. And if I do feel passionate about things, well, go for it. And it's a huge amount of fun. Um, I love the people I've met along the way. and. And it is nice when at the end of it you feel like, yep, I've managed to achieve what I'd like to. Major disappointments not achieving. I think that the whole um, way the government has handled divisions of general practice, Medicare locals and primary health networks has been the biggest disappointment from my perspective. Huge opportunity. I just love the theoretical ability that the primary health networks in particular now can do. Um but I just, you know, it's really hard because I think a lot of people have lost trust in the government for, you know, are, who are they going to change it? You know, you, you get a new government in and they want to mould it to what they want it to look like. So it has to change again. And so then a whole lot of the things that have been set up have to start again or be rebadged and, you know, all this money's wasted doing things that, you know, really you could be putting them into health and making a lot more. So that's that's the most frustrating part is having no power over that sort of political um, side of it, which you have to work with, like it or not. And that is the opportunity. I mean, like it or not, primary care is at what I would call the centre of a perfect storm. You know, we, we have to go through a tornado, like it or not, in the next, you know, 10 years because, you know, internationally not just Australia you know that the ability to make a difference for healthcare has got to be driven from the primary care setting and so it's a great great opportunity I think we're we're so lucky um it is so exciting as to how we can shape it but the challenge is shaping it with the politicians who might not have the same vision or be as focused on the same things as us is always the challenge and in the last kind of couple of years the ability for um, people to be noisy in different ways that's not in, you know, meetings or um, in corridors or in their practices but also to a wide range of all of our colleagues in on Twitter or Facebook or different other forums. Um, you know, you, we get to hear a lot about the frustrations of, of all of our colleagues and particularly there can often be a lot of criticism about the people in leadership positions and decisions that they're making and, and how that's affecting their what they perceive to be their practice day-to-day. How do you deal with that sort of um, overwhelming feedback and in a negative way? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it, exactly, it's changed heaps. And I'm not a, I'm not particularly good on social media, but I try and um, be – so I am I do have a Facebook account but not in my um, – in my normal name, I have it um, in an, another name, so that's sort of challenge in terms of on one front. But it also, and I'm, I tend to just sort of observe rather than actively participate, and that is great because it helps me understand what are the issues are for people. Being able to see the the grumbling and things that goes on. I mean, from my perspective, I think again that's sometimes hard because it is easy to grumble on those those forums and not necessarily get up and do something but it's also really great because you do you do understand what's going on um so much better than when we we didn't do that um and so twitter i you know it's one i've i've sort of engaged with a little bit more in terms of sort of saying things and i really love the, that as a a mechanism for sharing um, relevant information. It's sort of much easier to just quickly flick through and find things that are really relevant and be able to share them and see other people who are interested in the same thing. So I think that's really great and connecting. And it's really nice when you go to a face-to-face meeting and actually meet somebody that you um, admire through their tweeting, say, from that's sort of my main thing, and be able to have a chat about what that all means. So, yep, I think it's a great opportunity for people who don't like going to meetings or don't like doing things to actually have to give themselves a voice writing blogs is an amazing um, way of being able to sort of have a say more as well so there's much more ability to be able to do things if you're not a person who likes standing up and speaking um, and having a really powerful voice in terms of helping lead change so I guess from what I understand of what you just said was that instead of taking those comments on and and it being a, a directly related to, you know, an organisation or, you know, committee or whatever that you might have been on and, and, and letting it affect you being open to this idea that we didn't have these channels of communication before and now that they're there we, we get a greater understanding of, of how things are affecting people in real time and, and utilising that to then move forward in a different or more positive way in the future if if that will help to to change things for you or just letting it wash over the bar if it's not relevant because something else is happening and that, that issue will be fixed anyway. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good way of, of summarising what I said. Is And we've got too little time to to sort of I think waste in having some of these sort of you know you could get really hot under the co- collar you know it's a bit like the my health record debate at the moment I think there's an been an inordinate amount of time not not some I can't say it's wasted I think everybody has a right to a view and everybody has a right to go forward but you know I think some of the conversations have lost sight of what is it that it's trying to achieve um, and from my perspective my passion is about improving the ability of to to safely hand over care between for patients between different providers and at the moment we have a very we really don't have a good way of doing that and i really 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 want us to do it and this is you know my health records and you know an opportunity so we have to work through all of those really difficult conversations um but keep on 
you know, my big thing is let's just keep an eye on what it is was the ultimate goal. What, why are we here? And let's then try and hear what all the barriers and all the enablers are and try and work our way through that um, to ensure that the ultimate goal is is always met. And that's the same with all topics really. Don't You don't need to waste time engaging with the too, too many barriers. Just hear them and tick them as things that need to be covered off or dressed, et cetera, but you don't need to get too emotional about it. And Beth, do you have any questions? No, um, I actually think that this topic is hugely important and I think we could all talk about it for a long time. Um, my next patient's here. <laughs> so why don't we wrap up because we can do a couple of, we can do some leadership series podcasts where we, 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 we get into, you know, concepts of, uh, mentoring or you know establishing leadership skills and what they might be and we can get into more of the nitty-gritty of, of that sort of yeah. leadership discussion and we can start as this is the overview so why don't you wrap up with your um your, your clinical pearl or resource of the week I think I'll go first and I will passionately encourage everybody to open up their AJGP that's sitting on their kitchen bench (laughs) and just read one article. It doesn't have to be mine. Just a lot of time and effort and passion goes into writing the articles and I have learned so much by doing it. It's been an absolute journey and I would absolutely love some feedback and thoughts and just for everybody to get more involved in doing research even if it's just not throwing the now completely recyclable AJGP into the recycle but opening the pack and reading an article. Great thanks Beck. Um, mine will be um, a reminder that we have some amazing online resources so this week for me um, it's actually been my local health pathways. So I'm part of Sydney Health Pathways where um, I actually had three patients come and see me this week wanting to go on um, the new HIV prep. And I, I can I admit I was completely unprepared um, for that and Health Pathways has been awesome because I've been able to go on there and find all the resources that I needed to be able to um, deal with their needs right at the moment um, appropriately in the way that I was supposed to um, and at the same time it's identified that I need to go and find out more and I know that the the RSCGP, in fact, having a web has had a just recently had a webinar, so um, that I need to go to. But Health Pathways was brilliant awesome. in the um, in the surgery. Yes, I think that the college has done two webinars now, and the second one was only the other day, so it should be available on the website at some stage. And then there's a whole New South Wales Health website. Um, if you Google New South Wales Health Prep, I think that they've got a bunch of resources as well and clinical guidelines about when to start it and what to do. So um, I'm also needing to having that on my bookmarks waiting to read in the background. <laughs> but, uh, I discovered a new website called insideoutinstitute.org.au and it's the Institute for Eating Disorders 
and it's actually got a huge amount of fact sheets of all the different types of eating disorders and it's also got online learning modules and guidelines and podcasts and videos and it's changed my life for my patients. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. yeah. Thank so you. That was fun. I'm going to stop the recording. <laughs>